0: all that night while hasco slept like a log after a while i began to get sleepy myself i was happy though soon i'd be with sue again the long trip was practically over and there would be no more hoofing it down the concrete i began to think of the future which couldn't have been brighter if i'd embroidered it with neon lights it was nice to think of sue shooting to the top (laughs) it's amazing what a full belly can do to your imagination Let's get it started. Here. Let's get it started. Here. And I've been recording for a few seconds. Let's get it started. Here. In here. In here. All right. So let's welcome back to the to the wages of cinema. I almost said. Welcome <laughs> let's welcome ways. back.
1: Well, welcome back to you.
0: Welcome back to you, Andrew. All
1: right, we're talking about our New Year's movies.
0: And so now, uh, since last Andrew week, will I'm go first. first. Andrew will go first. Yes, said that at the same time.
1: And the movie that I chose this time is a film noir classic from 1945,
0: Detour. Detour by the director Edward G. Ulmer.
1: Now, let me say that I have a very short list of film noirs that i would actually seen. You could count the films of David Lynch as film noirs, like... uh, uh, what what was it? Uh, well,
0: what well, we well, lost called, Highway well, La Hulland Drive. Drive. Well, that is actually its own sort of thing as well. Like with David Lynch, uh, that was actually be what you would might call uh, neo noir,
1: right? And that's but, its
0: own sort of style that's come about in the last thirty years.
1: But I'd say it's more of a subset of film noir in general. It's not black and white, and it doesn't take place in the forties, but still, it's film noir to its core. Uh, Blue Velvet is is very much informed, if not based on film noir, exactly. Uh, Man, that's that's weird how David Lynch, you wouldn't think of film noir just by thinking about his career, but I mean, it's so film noir, things like Mulholland Drive, even though Mulholland Drive is, Mulholland Drive even is, though Mulholland Drive is a mystery that just goes into nowhere and everywhere.
0: Well, that is like, that. there are a lot of film noirs that have a lot of twists and turns, and especially when you think about Mulholland Drive, you think of Los Angeles, that's very yeah. much... Uh, a film noir staple. Um, although New York City was used for a lot of noirs, um, it's also the sense of mood and character.
1: Yeah, which um, which which all which a lot of David Lynch films have. But let's get back to this. I have very little experience with classic film noir. Exactly. I, I've seen The Maltese Falcon, but you can kind of argue that that's not well, necessarily film noir. Actually... I yeah. haven't seen things like Double Indemnity. Mm. I... Uh, I I can't even think of another film noir right now. Uh, Uh, Sunset Boulevard? I haven't seen that.
0: Uh, How about uh, The Naked City? No. Rafifi? No. Yeah, you're you're really behind. Yeah, so
1: this is my first classic film noir.
0: There you go. Because for me, film noir is one of those things with movies that, when I was becoming kind of a major cinephile... uh, some years back, like I dove deep into film noir, and I still love film noir too. Uh, yeah, and I think actually part of it I think came from a neo noir movie called Blood Simple from the eighties.
1: Oh, I have seen Blood Simple. Okay, but again, that's I have more experience with neo noir. Well, than Blood Simple, I do with
0: Blood Simple is very much in the tradition of film noir, although Blood yeah. Simple probably got away with a little more because Blood, Blood Simple changes
1: the, the uh, changes the setting, and it uh. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's but, it.
0: But anyway, I mean, we were getting off track, though, But We Detour, are getting a little off track. The thing about Detour, now we could talk about that This the, the setup is very simple.
1: Yes. A hitchhiker played by Tom Neal, mm-hmm. uh, he plays a man named, uh, what?
0: I think his character's name is
1: Al. Al Roberts. Yes. It, like, they just call him Roberts uh, for most of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's hitchhiking from New York to Los Angeles to meet his uh, fiance. He gets a ride from a uh, a shady looking guy, uh, and unfortunately, he gets drawn into a web of intrigue when this man accidentally dies on him.
0: Yes, but then there's also a, a woman involved.
1: Yeah, well, isn't there always uh, dames? So <laughs>
0: yeah, the movie actually it's funny because they have kind of like two dames because he's he's going out to to meet you know to his this woman Sue. But he gets sidetracked because of Vera.
1: Yeah. All right. And uh he's trying to see Sue because, you know, he wants to get married to her. He doesn't have any money. That's why he's hitchhiking from New York to Los yes. Angeles. Mm-hmm. And this guy who gives him a ride just dies on him. And it looks like he killed him. He yes, didn't. exactly. But, uh... He knows it's going to look like he killed him. He ditches the body, takes the clothes, takes the car, takes the guy's money because he basically has no other choice. Exactly. At least he thinks he has mm-hmm. no other choice. He picks up a woman who just so coincidentally happened to take a ride with the man who's dead. Yes. And that moment where she rec like she's, he picks her up and she's like, uh, she's not like smoking hot she's she's not wearing any makeup her skin's rather dark she looks a little greasy she's she's just supposed to be this sort of normal looking uh woman and she's just quiet she's uh, she looks exhausted she falls asleep she doesn't say much mm-hmm. she's not very friendly but she doesn't say anything so who cares yeah the minute she wakes she realizes that he is in, this is not his car she comes to life and the film and she's and that actress, Anne Savage, she steals she be, the movie.
0: She kind of becomes what we call in film noir the femme fatale.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, a great femme fatale. Yeah, and not in just and not necessarily that she's just manipulating him. No, she is full on ordering him what to do. She is blackmailing his ass. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah, <laughs> she she is not she's not stupid. She knows exactly what's going on. She doesn't necessarily believe he didn't kill him, but she knows he. She, she has him over a barrel.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, so just really fast. What, what do you think was, uh, what was your favorite scene in the film?
1: That, that scene where she just, she's in that car and she wakes up. Yeah. Like, because it's like, she comes to life. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she turns on a dime and just attacks him verbally. <laughs> and, what, and if that had been me driving that car, I'd be like, okay, stop. I'll do whatever you want. Just, do, but the thing just is leave with, me alone. These two
0: characters, they're both kind of. They're, they're, there's a kind of air of desperation for them to try to make it, like, with some money and just try to get along on their way. But when they see the sort of ways of double crossing, you know, that. Kind of comes into play, I think.
1: Right. She takes his money that uh, that he, he took from the dead guy. Uh, she wants him to sell the car mm-hmm. so that uh, so they'll get more money. And then she finds out that he that the man who died is probably an heir to a very large fortune, and she wants to run the con for as long as possible. Uh, man. Yeah. It's. I don't uh, want to talk too much about any, any more about the plot because I basically we basically spoil no, everything. But
0: one thing that I wanted to bring up is the whole thing where. Um, the characters... or a, Well, Al keeps on bringing up the idea of fate. Yeah. If you remember that. I mean, he even has a line, I'm kind of looking actually on my original review of the movie, where he says that fate or some mysterious force can put the finger on you or me for no good reason at all. And I kind of like that he brings that up because the movie kind of... it. I don't know if it says it works against that, but a lot of what happens in the movie when you could say it's fate... A lot of it also comes down to coincidence yeah. and really cruel coincidence. Yeah, you know, bad luck. A lot of what happens in film noirs is just bad, terrible luck.
1: This is the worst luck anybody's ever had.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I have a similar quote that I wrote down. Which uh, Robert says, "Whichever way you turn, fate sticks a foot out to trip you." <laughs> yeah, and it's really, it's I think you have, to, yeah, you have to think about. The time when it was made. I mean, This movie came out in 1945. Yeah. Just the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. And it had to have been in production while the war was still going on. Yeah. I mean, even though the war was almost over, everybody knew. Even though it was still going on, people knew, like, yeah, the war is definitely going to be over soon. But it has, this, it has this view about fate that would probably resonate with a lot of GIs at the time. Yeah. What happens to you has nothing to do with who you are or what your fate is or anything. It just happens to you because it happens.
0: Yes, exactly. I like what I love in these movies and like, especially with detour is that, you know, the characters, they might think they want to try to think ahead, but ultimately they have to take things step by step. They have to try to take things as the cards that are being dealt to them, but they have to keep thinking. They have to keep reacting.
1: um, yeah. Very much as you would in a battle. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in a battle you could get killed, like, by a stray shell that was just fired by some guy who wasn't aiming for you at all. Or you could get hit by a bullet, or you could get your, your arm blown off.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> or you could be the only person to survive out of a 100 Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with, with, any, with anything else. It just happens because it happens, and it might as well just happen to you. Mm-hmm. I, it's this weird sort of, it's it's this weird sort of philosophy that very much seems to have to do with the war itself. <laughs> yeah. and, and in a way, exactly. uh, it's not just about the time, but film noir has, surprisingly, has a lot of connections with it's, Lovecraftian horror. Yeah,
0: it's very despairing. Yeah. It's full of despair and... Yeah, you know, there's not much hope for these characters. You just want almost like you almost wonder, are they going to each stay alive by the end, or even if not that, are they going to destroy each other? When you go back to the idea of battle, yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah, it is. A, the interesting thing with this movie, and I don't know if you knew about this, is that it was actually. One of these productions, which back in the day they called them, quote, Poverty, poverty Row Pictures. These movies that were made, you know, a B-movie, but like a real B-movie that like had almost no budget. Like, the budget for this was apparently so small, like I was just looking at the trivia for the movie, that apparently um, the car that's used, uh, that's driven by uh, Charles Haskell was actually the
1: director. Charles Haskell own car. is the guy who dies uh who dies in the Yes, exactly. Uh, but that. that's the
0: director's own car in the film. You I, know. That almost makes me think of uh like when, when I make a movie, that's yeah. sort of like what I do. I, it's like, you know, hey I can't really buy a car for the movie i'll just use my car and you know work fine
1: yeah and let, let me explain something about b movies back in the day when there were shorts in front of movies and going to the going to movies was like a big thing you paid a ticket and you went to like a double feature exactly you had your you had two movies you had your a movie which was mm-hmm. usually something really good and then you had your b movie which was something that was probably not as good
0: not as good
1: i mean you also had the same
0: thing with um records too. I, but that's you where would,
1: the, that's where the word came from that's where it came from. A side and B side.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um uh, you because have your it's a from a movie and your B movie. But B movies have their own certain aesthetic. They don't have as much money. They're often genre films whereas an A picture is more, you know, prestige for example, an know? Oscar winner. Yeah, an Oscar winner. I mean, again, like the best years of our lives would be an A movie whereas Detour was more like well, we gotta just throw something out there for this theater for this time slot, and detours programmed by that, but by luck of you know the strong material by a director who actually spent his whole career doing these kind of movies and but just by having sort of simplicity itself, I mean, you know having a budget doesn't necessarily mean a movie's gonna be bad. I mean, you know one the man transformers. De- <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, well, one man's detour will be another man's Bride of the Monster. Yeah. You know, for example... And
1: it's worth mentioning that the film is only an hour and eight minutes long.
0: It's not a long movie, but again, that also came down to what happened with B-movies, that, you know, you wouldn't want to keep the audience there for too long sometimes. You know, you might <laughs> overstay your welcome. In case Transformers! Like, Thank you. <laughs> you should be coughing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um... But, uh, but this was a movie that stood out, and it's interesting because um, the reason that I think I gave you this movie. Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of reasons. I know you probably wanted to ask me about that. I, well, for one thing, again, I, I love film noir. I think it's, you could almost say it's its own genre, but people have kind of argued, oh, but then you could call, you know, a movie that you wouldn't usually think of as a film noir as a film noir.
1: Film noir is a genre and a style.
0: Yeah, it's a genre and a style. I mean, Detour and Sunset Boulevard shouldn't have that much in common with each other, but they're both considered film noirs. And Touch of Evil is also a film noir. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing is a film noir, um, and I I think that I wanted you to get some exposure to that, and with something that um, was is kind of considered. Just, uh, sort of a classic in a lot of ways. Like, it's probably the only... I don't know if it's the only one, but it's the first B-movie that was preserved by the Library of Congress. Wow. In, like, the early 90s. Um, you know, it's also... It kind of is what I would consider almost, like, the bare bones of film noir, in a way. Like, there are other movies... Yeah, it's very efficient. It's very efficient. It moves like like that. I'm snapping my fingers. I don't know if you can hear that. Um... And I think it kind of gives a good indication of the sort of tropes of film noir, just in the characters. Like I mentioned. Oh, that- I,
1: I made a list of all the of all the film noir <laughs> cliches I could find. Yeah. Right, the shot from the front of the car of the two people in the driver's seat. Yes. Uh, the sort of jumpy guy who mm-hmm. who's just afraid uh, to talk. Uh, telling the story in a flashback. Yes,
0: the narration.
1: Narrating, yes, and fast talking people. Yeah.
0: I, almost, I also look at, too, again, I mentioned that Anne Savage kind of ultimately plays the femme fatale, even though she doesn't quite start out that way. But also, the main character of Al Roberts, he's also who I consider the, quote, average Joe, or sort of like the down-on-his-luck guy, who you often see in movies.
1: So down-on-his-luck. Yeah, life. very
0: down-on-his-luck. Um, in this case, much more than some other movies. Um, but sort of like the guy who you sort of... You, do, you don't want you don't root against him from the start. Oh, no. you're just watching this guy sort of come apart. That was sort of a theme in a lot of films, um, where you know I'm going to hatch this scheme, and it's going to it may or may not come apart. I mean that could you could almost say that's that's also that's, in, du- that's uh, like double indemnity. Double indemnity uh, where
1: people seek to commit some sort of fraud or or, or and murder people. Yeah,
0: or uh, the postman always always when rings twice is another film like that.
1: Right. Um, I mean, Al Roberts is just a guy who's trying to get—he's trying to see his fiance. Yeah. And he just has terrible luck.
0: Yeah.
1: I wanted to see—I uh, kind of want to see a parody where where worse and worse things keep happening. He's like, "Right, you—you you sank the Titanic. I knew it. <laughs> You—you're the reincarnation of Hitler." <laughs> and it's just like, I just wanted to get a ham sandwich. <laughs> But let me go back to something, which is I... Oh, also, which is also okay.
0: paranoia kind of comes up a little bit in film noir, too. Yeah. A sense that, is someone following me? Am I being chased? Am I going to get caught?
1: Yeah. The, looking over your shoulder to see if somebody's coming up at you. Yeah, see? The, like, the, like the cops. Yeah. The fuzz. Mm-hmm. But let me go back to a point I was going to make earlier, which is the link between film noir and Lovecraft. Okay, well, I'm interested in this. Okay, I've read,
0: read a little Lovecraft, but I'm by no means an expert.
1: Okay, well, let's let's talk about like typical film noir. It's kind of like a story that's told in a flashback of a person who kind of descends into this world, and he learns stuff. Uh, uh, basically, in in Al Roberts' case, it's it's uh, more appropriate because he's just a regular guy who happens to fall into this terrible situation he learns right. things about himself that he never realized he could do hide a body steal a man's steal a dead man's uh yeah money things like that uh and eventually murder and he descends into a sort of madness and in the end of the film he can't go back home he can't go to los angeles he is stuck in this void hitchhiking the united states uh he learns terrible things and he can't unlearn them.
0: So that's a staple in Lovecraft?
1: Well, uh, and let's go back, let's think about stories like Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Uh, where It's a guy telling a story in retrospect. And it's a guy... Uh, oh yeah, or like at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, it, it, it's like, oh, you won't believe me when I tell you this. You're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> and there is that paranoia of like... There is a lot of paranoia in Lovecraft of not only people who want to kill you because of what you yeah. know or but mm-hmm. also because of the world that you thought you knew is not what you thought it was.
0: That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I I think if there is a difference it's that you know that Lovecraft of course deals a lot more in the supernatural. He deals in the world of things that are really fantastical that you can't explain, but that makes it that much more Frightening, even though the way that it's told is often very uh, relatable in a way. Yeah. Whereas in the film noir, what I love about it is that it's it puts you like right into the real world. It yeah. Puts you into stuff that's very familiar. There,
1: there are two parts of a spectrum of of, uh, of basically finding out how low you can sink, or how yes. or how or how corrupt everything is around you. Uh, I mean, sometimes, a lot of times in film noir, it's a, it's a very savvy person who who lives in this world and realizes that you know, despite all your good intentions, nothing comes to anything. But but again, it's about you know, bad things happen to people, and it's it's just about bad luck. Yeah. But it uh, and and again, very pessimistic.
0: Yeah, very pessimistic.
1: <laughs> I, a film noir almost by by definition has to have a, an ambiguous or a plain bad ending.
0: Oh yeah, well that's uh, which
1: is what Lovecraft is. Yeah. I mean nobody, no one read a Lovecraft story and were like, well that got solved pretty well.
0: No, Cthu- yeah. <laughs> There's nobody, no salvation here. Yeah, you don't really get out of the Cthulhu story and live happily ever after.
1: No. Uh oh, another film noir. I guess we could count as a film noir. The Third Man.
0: Oh sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: there. All right, there's there's one I've seen. There you go. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh
0: actually there have even been some people who and I don't think I can agree with this, but there have been some people who classified Citizen Kane as a noir. And I don't think that quite
1: falls up. No. Right. Phil, uh, Citizen Kane is is about one guy and how he ruins his own life basically. And his yeah. and his own problems. So now I wouldn't call that a film noir. Although it does have, you know, telling the story in retrospect and flashbacks. There is
0: a lot, yeah. But Wells but, is one of the key figures in in noir, and Hitchcock made some noirs too. All
1: right, uh, another one. Uh, people talk about this a little bit. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life has elements of the style of film noir.
0: Interesting.
1: When we talk, when there's that whole Potter'sville sequence, and like that part where Jimmy Stewart. He, he he runs away from his house where he meets his mother who doesn't recognize him. Right. And he's looking at the camera with that wild-eyed look, <laughs> and there's the eerie music, and you're like, this guy is coming unhinged. That's that's mm. part of the style of film noir.
0: It's funny you mentioned that because I was talking with a friend recently, and he's a and he's like a really big fan of It's a Wonderful Life, and he 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 was trying to tell me how he thinks that It's a Wonderful Life was sort of the uh, precedent for Lynch. And stuff like that. That like you can kind of look at. It, it's a wonderful life, and it's really a a, very, a much weirder film than people take like take it for.
1: Well, it's a very uh, it's a very rosy film. Well, maybe, it's a very sentimental film, and David Lynch, I don't think, has any sentimentality in him.
0: I, that's not true. All right. Well, where where Elephant Man,
1: the Straight Story. I wouldn't call the Elephant Man a sentimental story.
0: Um, that's very care it's not it's very All right, it has compassion
1: I in it and it has characters you care about but it's not like everyone is I redeemed think that, in maybe my act.
0: what my friend was trying to get at was that like when lynch shows the sort of rosy americana and like twin peaks and blue velvet that's sort of capra-esque well
1: no he's he's, he's parodying capra right? okay <laughs>
0: For every as, every as as everything is folksy sincere.
1: everything folksy in in a David Lynch film is put there as uh as basically a, like a facade and this kind of broad Maybe, yeah. caricature mm. i mean in in blue velvet i mean it's it's comically uh rosy sure because underneath is this underworld of yeah. uh of of corruption and sexual perversion mm.
0: Yeah, maybe there isn't, like, the, yeah, there's not perversion in Capra, that's for sure. No. I know he's got a little off track, but I was just, like, it made me think about, like, when we think about Americana and stuff like that.
1: Uh, okay. You know what
0: actually would be an interesting film noir, though, in this mold that I'm talking about, is Shadow of a Doubt. Yeah. Have you ever seen this movie?
1: I've, that's the one with, uh... Joseph Cotton. No, uh, uh, that's... Uncle Charlie. Oh, yeah, well, that's Hitchcock, right? Yes, it is. I don't know. You were I, confusing that with something else. Like I was. I was thinking of the wrong man.
0: That that well, that's also that's a really underrated film. You've seen that, yeah, with Henry Fonda. I yeah. would consider that tech. That I would consider that film more. Yeah. That's a very paranoid movie to me. Yeah, like the way that Henry Fonda is going about like getting pulled into this whole case and uh, yeah, I mean he's a everyone man. One keeps watching. him. He's a
1: man falsely accused of a crime and. Uh... You know, once he once he gets accused, his life is torn apart, and you know, the justice system should protect him, but it does. You know, it's nothing but a. It's kind of Kafka esque, I'd say. Oh, very close to. Kafka. I, it's a little more closer to Kafka than I'd probably than uh than film noir, but uh, you make a good point. I I mean, you Kafka could probably, you could probably. Too.
0: A little bit like the trial, mm. or maybe Orson Welles is the trial.
1: <laughs> Stylistically, yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to uh, Detour. Really great. It'll only take an hour out of your life, and it's a really awesome it's film. It's an awesome film. It's the it's best. It's also available
0: on public domain, too, so you can actually watch it online. Uh, good. Although I think there are good quality versions on DVD.
1: The version I got wasn't great. The audio kept coming in and out. but uh, it's,
0: Yeah, the problem is it's one of those titles that, um, even though it's been preserved by Congress...
1: Excuse the me. Library of Congress. Congress itself doesn't. <laughs> oh, Congress okay. itself doesn't preserve films. No. All right. But uh, yeah, watch Detour if you want. It's uh, it packs a lot into an hour and eight minutes, and it you really won't regret does. it. It really does. All right, let's talk about your movie.
0: My film that I watched was uh, 1990. Either it was 1990 or 1991. The Rocketeer
1: all right okay okay listen i reworked the throttle so just squeeze her like a gas pedal
0: and if you want to stop mash down hard and then let go okay anything else yeah a little luck how do i look like a hood ornament
1: I am excited. Are you now? Yes.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you are because I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Um, now, the first I thing, wish
1: I had seen this when I was younger. The funny thing is, I feel I, like I wasted my life by not seeing this before I was twelve. <laughs>
0: the, the sad thing is, now I'm going to tell you something which might shock you. I, it's quite possible I did see this movie when I was a kid, and I don't didn't remember seeing it. There are certain films from my childhood that I have just forgotten that I saw when I was a kid.
1: Because they happened around childhood traumas and he repressed his memories.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. I just... I think, honestly, when I was a kid, with the exception of a few movies, I, I really did gravitate more to cartoons and animation than I did live action. Um, so, I think, like... Even, like, a movie like Dick Tracy, which is very colorful and cartoonish. Yeah. Like, I, I know... My mom tells me that I saw that in the theater when I was a kid, but I... Didn't remember seeing it in the theater. The same thing with Batman, which really depressed me because I remember going to see Batman, but I don't remember Batman from that time period. So, so the Rocketeer might have
1: fallen into your brain cracks.
0: That might have fallen into the brain cracks. So but what? I'm so glad I watched it. So um, what's the
1: Rocketeer about?
0: In short, as if I didn't know. Well, the Rocketeer, in short, um, is about uh, this character named Clifford. And he works, at, and he's a pilot, and he works with, um, I don't know, is it his uncle or his dad? Or... It's just a guy. He's like an older guy. A friend of Allendark his. And, an older, they, and they work, uh, they, they get money by, you know, flying and, you know, doing shows. Um, and, but the problem is they face some financial trouble. They, at the start of the movie, uh, they have, like, the, the guy Clifford has sort of like a plane incident. And this was a plane that was very special, but they come upon this jetpack, which is not theirs. And Clifford just wants to use it for a little while. But it happens to belong to some very powerful people. Uh, yes. Namely Howard Hughes. Yeah. Um. But it's also an in interest to uh, the Nazis. Um, of
1: course. Of course.
0: Um, so ultimately the movie uh, becomes kind of like a, a sort of chase uh, over you know trying to take possession of this rocket and it's very important because if the Germans get a hold of this rocket then they're going to have uh
1: this loads of trouble
0: loads <laughs> of trouble we're going to get invaded by Germans on jetpacks
1: i know <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing i love about this film
0: i could see why you wanted to show me this movie
1: yes and here's the thing when you're an adult you realize okay you can't fly on a jetpack from germany to the united states yeah. i right, no matter what but then when you're a kid you're like no the nazis are gonna come here with jetpacks what are we gonna do <laughs> yeah um it totally makes sense to a kid yeah fly sure. from germany
0: well it has it's funny that um they made this movie in at least in 1991 and it's based on a comic book yeah it's a full-blown comic book movie um, it is a they, comic book movie. They still do Rocketeer comics, I think. I don't know. Yes, the Rocketeer. What the Rocketeer about, is, yeah.
1: a, uh, is, is a is 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 a is a living franchise right now. They're still writing Rocketeer comics. That's right. Um, and the early comics I read uh, a few ish. I, I I I got a book of them and I read okay. them, and they're good. Okay. That's and good he enough. even interacts with other pulp heroes of the time, like yeah. the Shadow. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, yeah, the the
0: movie has very much that feel of like reading one of these comics. Um, and like I said, because you, know, you have very bigger than life characters. I mean, in this movie, uh, Timothy Dalton basically plays Errol Flynn. Yes. Uh, or a version of him. He basically plays this actor who does a lot of swashbuckling um films but he's actually the the villain yes. of the film. He's a very, He is a Nazi spy. He's practically <laughs> twirling his mustache through most of this film. Yes. Um you know he also has uh, Clifford as his girlfriend played by Jennifer Connelly. Um what the thing about this movie for me is the Jennifer supporting Connelly. Cast.
1: Jennifer Connelly. Oh Jennifer man she's so <sighs> I'm
0: sorry. I have to be a man for a moment and just That's that is like,
1: sexist, Jack. That man. If you watch, to...
0: man or woman, if you're a man or a woman and you watch this movie and you don't find Jennifer Connolly attracted, then you're you're a eunuch.
1: What if you're a woman?
0: You could be a eunuch too, maybe. All
1: right. Anyway. Anyway.
0: So this movie has such a great supporting cast. I mean, Alan Arkin, people who, I that guy Arkin, who played
1: Al- plays Howard Hughes.
0: Alan Arkin. Terry O'Quinn is the actor who plays Howard Hughes, yeah. and I love Terry O'Quinn because he was lock on lost which you know oh yeah yeah i don't know if andrew i haven't watched lost
1: but i know that actor's face that
0: actor is he he had the bald head he had a whole catchphrase uh don't tell me what i can't do and i actually had a t-shirt with that on years ago (laughs) um yeah paul sorvino who's like the chief gangster uh i mentioned timothy dalton um there's this actor named john Polito. Uh, who plays um the guy who runs the circus. Yeah. And you you would know him if you saw him because he's been in a ton of Cohn Brothers movies. Um, oh
1: he played um he was Bernie uh, Bernie Bernbaum.
0: Yeah, he had it with the hi hat.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: he's that guy. Stick
1: of you giving me the hi hat.
0: Like the one like now I will say that I don't think it's a perfect film. No. Unfortunately. Like there are a couple of things that for me, the lead actor is he's good. He he's decent.
1: He's perfectly capable.
0: He's capable in the role. It's just that surrounded by the rest of the cast, like he gets a little overshadowed. Like to me, what I wrote, I wrote this down. I kind of call it the, and it's both. It's a little bit in the writing too. Even though he's a capable hero, but I I call it the Stephen King principle, where there are certain Stephen King books or series, uh, specifically Under the Dome and Mr. Mercedes are the two that sort of came to mind for me. And I haven't read these books, but I watched a little bit of Under the Dome, and this is also what my wife has told me, because she's read them. And you can adjust yourself. You can take a second. Thanks. Yeah. You feeling comfortable there? Uh, Just keep going. Okay. (laughs) All right. You feel good. Um, What you get in those stories are a lead character who's kind of bland-ish, and the rest of the supporting cast is so richly drawn That, you know, they kind of overwhelm the hero. This, like, this didn't happen completely in this movie, but it did a little bit for me. That's one little nitpick. Although, like I said, it's so colorful and rich. Like, everybody is playing it so well. And understanding where they are in this comic
1: book. Yeah, and everyone's playing it straight. They're they're playing it straight,
0: even though they're having a good time. Like, Timothy Dalton had a blast making this movie. And he could
1: have easily chewed the scenery, but no, he goes... uh, Once or twice he does there's, yeah but he's he's restrained he 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 certainly keeps uh he, he, he yeah he does an excellent job
0: yeah i mean uh, and and I would say that there is one little thing which I don't know how you felt about this but i I'm, I'm curious to ask you about a particular character that I felt was not out of place but maybe how he looked was, which was they there was like this one main henchman yeah, and his face. Is it just he looked like he wandered? He looks off like the a se- sidewalk. <laughs> he looked like he, he looked like he wandered off the set of Dick Tracy. Yeah. and wandered onto the set of the Rocketeer, and they're like, "Oh, let's use him as the gangster." And it's like the thing is, everybody else in the movie, yeah, it's very pulpy, but ultimately the movie is not in the tradition of the Dick Tracy mold. It's in the tradition of Indiana Jones. Yes. this is a pulp serial in that kind of way. Of you know, we have this object. And you know people, people like the Nazis and historical figures that you can throw in Howard Hughes in there. But everyone looks like a human being. This guy was—he like looks a,
1: cartoonish,
0: very cartoonish.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> like the way he moves around. But he talks it, car- in a cartoonish way. You're yeah, like, that where's you know, the rocket? Yeah, where? <laughs> yeah, he sounds cartoonish. Red Rum. <laughs> <laughs> what? Red Rum. Red Rom.
0: Red Rum. Red Rom. Well, I don't know if I'd say he's quite like that. No. But anyway, but yeah, he
1: he he's he's, he's a stock character, but he's portrayed in a very cartoonish way. I, would and in that with, way. I would have
0: been fine with him as a stock character. Like to me, he played the role that um you know again I, I, brought, I brought up Indiana Jones In Ravens of the Lost Stark.
1: You had that character as well. You had the guy who um you had the 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 shirtless mechanic who, who punched <laughs> the idiot. Shirtless. But he, it's I, also like I it's I don't also even mean like that. I it's mean, also like tote. Uh, the guy with the black coat and the that's black what hat. I mean,
0: that's what that guy. Well, I yeah, can't remember his name. I, I forget. He serves that function, but he doesn't have the right look with every all the other characters. In the he,
1: film. No, he he stands out because he's so cartoonish. But in a way, I Especially, don't mind that because it's very. Uh, it's. Okay. I don't want to say it's okay because I, I, it's a like film for kids. It, it doesn't. It, yeah. It didn't take me out of the film. It was just a nitpick that I had. I you could have easily found someone with a very strange face who, without makeup, because there the, are people the makeup was very obvious. Yeah, but but there are people who have very distinct, you know, kind of weird looking faces. You could have found someone like that. They should have uh, got
0: know. who they should have got was the guy that plays Lurch in like the Adams Family movies. Yeah. I don't know. You could but, have, um, that,
1: that, that's like a Richard Keel role. Yeah,
0: but aside from that, I did really enjoy. This Rest movie in peace, a lot. Richard Keel. Yes, Richard Keel, man, and what I love about it is that it's a movie that's about the movies and it's about flying. To me, you know, we talked. Yeah, about... Yeah, Timothy
1: Dalton's an actor. Yeah, uh, his uh, the Rocketeer's girlfriend is trying to make it in movies,
0: and and they kind of it's funny how um, there's this sort there's not a battle between flying and movies, but like the Rocketeer, Clifford, <laughs> he he sort of berates his girlfriend for what do you want to do movies for you know it is They movies. suck yeah you know be, you know i fly you know i do something
1: but, it, 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 but at the end there's also a battle between two fanciful ways of flying rocket pack and zeppelin
0: yes the zeppelin that's a good way of putting it yeah. um, but um the thing is about this movie is that i it's weird that it's funny that we bring you brought up detour cuz to me and i say this in the most complimentary oh. sense this is like the B movie version of the Aviator, to me. Now I don't know if you know, you know the the movie. Is, that's the
1: biopic about Howard Hughes. But that's with the Leonardo biopic DiCaprio. About Howard
0: Hughes. Yeah, where he, you know, is you know being a flyer and he's making
1: movies. Let me detour for just a second. Uh, no, oh, when, so it, when the nostalgia critic talked about the Rocketeer, okay. he talked about I haven't seen that. Review. He, t- it's okay. He talked about the guy who played Howard Hughes. What's his name again? Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn saying that his Portrayal of Howard Hughes made Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator look like a Halloween costume. <laughs> that's pretty strange. I have not seen The Aviator, but still those are those are some strong words.
0: I I love, DiCaprio in The Aviator is great, but that's a, it's a very different film. The Aviator is the A movie version of that. That's where you get, you know, that's where you get more into Howard Hughes. In this movie, he is he's a character who you know he's not he's not exactly you know he's not a hero nor a villain he's but he's a character who is very integral to the story
1: um, Right. i mean he he helps design the the rocket back exactly um and he has and he has reasons for getting it back which yeah. you know are good <laughs> they're very good reasons
0: there's really He knows Nazis in the are trying act. to <laughs> yes yeah um it's a sophisticated movie that for kids and you know it it's a little goofy for adults but it's a fun goofiness it's um, the movie, as you may or may not know, it was directed by Joe Johnston. Who went
1: on to direct the first Captain America movie. He directed the first Captain America I'm sure film. he's done other stuff.
0: I'm sure he's done a lot of movies. <laughs>
1: you don't know either, do you?
0: I could look it up right now. Uh, I, I Internet. know that he, he's a pro. He, he's he been making movies for a long time in Hollywood. But everyone was um, talking
1: about, yeah, Joe John... Uh, yeah, I, the thing he, was,
0: with with the, with the I, I had been meaning to see this movie for a long time, in part because... When they announced that this guy Joe Johnston, who directed the The Rocketeer, uh, is going to make Captain America, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, that that makes complete sense." They didn't know the script was garbage <laughs> <laughs> for Captain America. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, it's like it's interesting seeing this movie now. And okay, so some other movies to just briefly mention: Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. Jumanji. Eh. The Page Master. Ah. Uh. October Sky, which is actually a good movie. Jurassic Park 3?
1: No, that's no. not a good movie. The Wolfman? Wait, which is The Wolfman?
0: The new one with Benicio del Toro. Which I is haven't seen of, it. It's kind of, it's all right. This guy's had a hit or miss career. Like, yeah. The interesting thing is is that I think they obviously knew at Marvel, you know, hey, this guy who did The Rocketeer, you know, he'd made a movie set in this period and a very pulpy comic book style. And yet, I think that the difference is is that, again, I mentioned that Clifford, the Rocketeer character, he's a little bland. I still thought he had more personality than Steve Rogers in Captain America. Yeah. That's kind of the main problem, is that ultimately, in that story, Captain America just isn't that interesting. He's interesting in the elements that are around him. The first half of Captain America is fun, because when he becomes Captain America and he gets the super serum, he becomes this propaganda figure... Uh, for the war yeah. effort, and, and it's then a there's, lot of a, fun. there's a giant
1: musical number, which yeah. is the best part of Captain <laughs> That's America. That's the best
0: part of the movie. Uh, uh, but then when and he and more... he nails
1: that look of the 1940s of movie 1940s. Yeah,
0: movie 1940s <laughs> looks great. Yeah, but, but I, I still felt that in a way, in the Rocketeer, there was a, just a little more purity to it. Yes, because again, you're not dealing another with one of those
1: unquantifiable movie aspects.
0: You're not dealing with <laughs> movie. You're not dealing with uh the you know, cause in a way, Captain America, you know, that is a more recognizable comic book than The Rocketeer, but that's even more comic booky. That's when you get, you know, the Red Skull and you get Hydra. It's and, It is
1: a comic book. Yeah,
0: whereas The Rocketeer, <laughs> there's a part of it that is still Well I'm not gonna say grounded in reality per se, but A little bit more identifiable. It transcends
1: comic books.
0: There's a little bit more heart to it, you know, I mean, there's, to me, you know, the whole, um, you know, Alan Arkin, I think, was one of the things that I I loved in the movie, too. You look
1: like a hood ornament.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, he also, I was surprised that he, uh, in every other role I've seen him in, you know, he's Alan Arkin, he has a voice like this, he has a... Again with the chicken. Yeah. But he doesn't really have that accent in this
1: movie. Well...
0: It's not as he probably, pronounced. He, he really tampered it down to sound more like a guy from the Midwest or something. Yeah. Well Um But it's it's involving. Like I actually wrote like the first act, you know, it has a genuinely folksy old adventure movie charm to it. Yeah. It's so and, charming.
1: Yeah, and that's why I chose it. I mean it's you know, some movies, like, you could talk about, yeah, there, there's this line of dialogue I loved in it, or I love the actors, and, but, I mean, The Rocketeer has this element that's intangible. Yes. It's the sincerity. Yes. And, and, and an affection. Yes. Which is why I chose it, and not, and also because it just, uh, it's not well-remembered anymore.
0: It did, it wasn't a huge hit when it came out. Yeah. Um. It was actually... A- pretty big budget and I, I i could see it on the screen they put a lot of money into the
1: movie yeah and as far as disney live action films go i mean it's a real standout
0: it, it stands out um, especially as um i'm not gonna say it's risque for a disney film but they do get away with more than i expected i mean there's a whole that whole thing they where, take some chances when uh, timothy dalton's character uh well i wrote eddie valentine is that his name yeah like eddie uh oh wait Something like that. It's Eddie Valentine. Er, he, he's Errol Flynn. Yeah, when he, Errol Flynn. He, he kind of kidnaps um, Jennifer Connolly and takes uh, her to his place. You know, she basically knocks her out, and, like, there's a kind of sinister air in that scene. Yeah. Just for a moment. Maybe just for a Disney film, it felt that way to me. But um, but there's just a lot of really fun things in this movie. You know, it's another thing that's relatable, too, is that, you know, when you compare this with Captain America... You know, yeah. Some kids they might want to be Captain America. They might want to have the shield. They might want to be Rah Rah America. You know, uh, but some people might want to be more like the the Iron Man or something more. They might want to be a different superhero. This is kind of a uh... who doesn't want a jetpack?
1: Yeah, who doesn't want a a (laughs) jetpack? (laughs) <laughs> That's one of the things I talk about. Like people say, oh, how are we going to go in the future? Is it going to be like teleportation, or are we going to have self-driving cars?" I was like, "No, forget all that. I want a flying car or a jetpack. Yes. That's what I want."
0: Yes, exactly. Um,
1: I don't want to just like step out and I'm and I'm where I am. Mm-hmm. Another thing that is worth mentioning, and another reason why I put this on your list, okay, is because it is an early it is an early comic book movie that is good. Batman is a good early comic book movie, but I think when he you're, you're that talking, Crazy is a good
0: comic book movie too.
1: Yeah, but when you're talking about, what when you're talking about good comic book movies from the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands, what is your list? Because I mean, you have the later Batman. Films, it was that was which time... is a very which is a very sharp decline.
0: Well, the thing is, during that time period, comic book movies. Um... And maybe for some people, rightfully so, people looked at comic book movies and said, oh, no, those are comic book movies. Those are... Who, who cares? <laughs> I mean, obviously, the success of Batman, that did bring about some movies that might have not existed. Like, we wouldn't have The gotten... Fantastic
1: Four with Roger Corman?
0: <laughs> well yeah. Uh, or, or even Darkman, the Sam Raimi movie. Yeah. That definitely came from Batman. Which is not a great movie. Um, there were a few movies that came out because of Batman's success. But it didn't explode in the way that it is now. I think no. that But at I that mean... time at that time, action movies still were its own thing, and comic book movies, yeah, you might have some here and there, but there was a little bit more competition. They weren't dominating the landscape. Now comic book movies, there was a whole string of them in the past ten years that have just made things like as soon as Spider-Man made a hundred million in a weekend that like changed everything I think.
1: But you you could still look but you you could still look back at the Spider-Man movies and see a lot of flaws that you didn't see the first time. Oh yeah, sure. I do they hold up as well anymore? And the answer is no. Um, and The Rocketeer still holds up.
0: There is a sincerity to it that actually works. Again, not all of it I loved, like I don't know if I'd put it like right. I wouldn't put right on the same level as the first batman no but it's almost there it has again it it reaches
1: pretty high
0: it reaches much higher than i expected like i i expected like a a fun little movie but again it's like by the time they got to that third act i was so with it yeah you know and And it's
1: even like one scene i love like, it's where, like, the, the mobster is like, wait a minute, you're a Nazi? The guy he's been working with the whole time? Yeah. yeah. You know, Timothy Dalton is like, well, you seriously didn't, th- di- didn't know not like, no. He's like, no, I'm not working with Nazis. And he's like, let him have it! Yeah, no, and then actually, the rocket... for a moment, there's a Mexican standoff, too. Yeah. Like, because
0: at one point, they're about to hand off the, the rocket for the girl, you know, that whole u- usual thing. And then, and then Clifford Pulse is Rubino like, finds out yeah, Clifford's he,
1: like, you know he's a Nazi, right? He's like, well, this changes everything. Yeah, and then the Rocketeer takes off to go after that Zeppelin, and he's like, Go get him, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll, it could be so corny. But still, y- you believe it, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's as much, again, I bring up,
0: I, I, I can't stress that. Yeah, it's a comic movie. It's an Indiana Jones, you could almost say knockoff, but it's, it's a, a comic book really movie.
1: It's a pulp movie, and it's yeah. an adventure film.
0: Yes. It would have been. You know, right at home in like the the ser- you know the serials that they used to do in theaters back then.
1: Will the Rocketeer reach the Zeppelin in time? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Find out next week.
0: Well, the you could do a sequel and like, will the Rocketeer stop the Japs from bombing the harbor. Find out next time.
1: Whoa, too soon, man. <laughs> too
0: yeah, it's only <laughs> been seventy-five years almost.
1: Hey. All right. Uh, but, uh,
0: I'm glad you <laughs> recommended this movie for me. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Do oh, you my... have
1: a favorite scene?
0: Of course. Yeah. Um, I would say that I like the scene a lot at the nightclub where uh, Timothy Dalton, Jennifer Connolly are having uh, dinner and uh, the Clifford's in disguise as the waiter. yeah, And like, he, he leaves the note in her soup and is just like a bumbling waiter like, the whole time <laughs> um and that's just like one of those classically drawn scenes like you know you have like the nightclub singers in the background that's an example of period perfect setting and um and again i can't stress jennifer connelly um you know i'm reminded of animaniacs you know like hello <laughs> nurse <laughs> When I look at her in that movie, it's just because you know, she's always been beautiful to me, but especially in that movie, it's like the way that they dress your, her. Your
1: tongue drops out of your mouth and it unrolls like a like a blind. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then you tug out on the end of the door, mm-hmm. and then yeah. cash register eyes. Mm-hmm. All right, enough. Yeah. But yeah,
0: in pe- in those period clothes, especially, it's just
1: she's glamorous and she's marvelous.
0: Yes, and that's a good way to end the segment on the Rocketeer. It's a also glamorous, glamorous
1: and marvelous.
0: Glamorous and marvelous, imperfect, but you know, its its merits outweigh its flaws.
1: Absolutely. All right, All so right. We'll
0: take one more little break and when we come back. The we're Oscars. Talk about the Oscars and a book of the week. Your,
1: eyes, oh, your kisses, too never knew what they could do.
0: I can't believe that you're in love with me. You're telling everyone you know. I'm on your mind each place you go. I can't believe that you're in love.